This episode of Where Did It All Go Right is sponsored by Pearson. Pearson is the world's learning company, supporting talent and helping everyone to make progress in their lives through learning. Working with teachers and education experts, Pearson provides a wide range of qualification routes so you can pick the course which suits you best to develop your skills and stand out in the crowd. Visit them online at go.pearson.com forward slash where did it all go right. Hello and welcome to Where Did It All Go Right? I'm Ali Jones. I've snuck into a small room in my house to try and stay away from the noise of my family because as I'm recording this, as you probably listening to this, are in lockdown as well. So it's very difficult to find a quiet spot in your house. So hopefully you won't hear much in the background. If you do, it's somebody shouting at somebody else or eating their tea or trying to find the remote control or something like that. We've got another great guest who will tell you about the pivotal moments in their career. We hope to inspire and entertain you. So this week's guest is Guy Chambers. Guy is a songwriter, producer and musician who has written something that you will have definitely heard on the radio. You might have sung along to it or danced to it or played it yourself. He's probably best known for writing songs like Angels and Let Me Entertain You with Robbie Williams, but he's also written musicals, uh, most recently The Boy in the Dress at the RSC, based on David Walliams' book. So I caught up with him during lockdown. As someone who once got a D-double plus for some composition at uni, it was a joy to talk to an expert. So it was me that got the D-double plus, is what I mean. Why a D-double plus? Surely C-minus is better. I still haven't got over it. Thanks to technology, we were social distancing and we spoke about his career. How is the isolation going for you, Guy? Well, it's not so bad. We're very lucky because we're in a beautiful part of the world in Sussex. So... Literally straight outside our door, there's a amazing walks, and I've got my whole family. I have three teenagers and one eleven-year-old. Got four kids, and so I, I haven't really seen much of all three teenagers. I haven't really seen them much because because uh, two of them are at boarding school and one of them is away a lot. So uh, it's been amazing actually having everyone together and you know at dinner times and uh, sort of making things to do and Mm, mm. it's rediscovering who they are because the last time I really spent time with them was when they were a lot younger so I've been that's that's definitely a blessing I'm trying to I'm sure you're trying to do the same thing I'm sure everyone's trying to find the positives in it absolutely we're doing a lot of baking and uh, yeah we're just we are at the moment trying to enjoy spending time together my lot are a bit younger um, but uh, the homeschooling is slightly challenging but that's kind of finishing for a bit um, I, I wanted to say congratulations to you on the boy in the dress because talking of families the whole family went and it's oh. diff- difficult to please everyone in our household but everybody loved it it was just oh, so great. joyful thank you it was a joy being involved in it and being asked to do it. Uh, I mean, I'd wanted to do a musical my whole life, to be honest. Um, and I did I did start another musical on John Lennon, on, you know, that film Nowhere Boy? Yeah. I, I was commissioned to work on that. There was going to be a musical ca- called Nowhere Boy. But I started it and then I, I, got, I got the heebie-jeebies about it because I just didn't want to write songs that a young John Lennon would sing. Mm. It, it made made me feel really weird. 
because I'm such a Beatle nut. Um, <laughs> it made me feel uncomfortable, the thought that John Lennon would sing one of my melodies. It just it was just too weird for me. <laughs> so I pulled out of that. But to be asked to do Boy in the Dress by the, the RSC and, and work with David Walliams and... Um, and the team at, at the Royal Shakespeare Company was was just just unbelievably great. And the cast, as you saw, the cast is so talented. And, oh yeah, definitely. I mean, my and, my children are obsessed with the, the, the girls that played his best friend, really. And uh, you know, we've Lisa. been watching. Yeah, been watching videos of her performing, and yeah, it's a lovely way of getting them into musicals because they'd never been to one before. Wow. And it, it's you know sometimes some things are a little bit daunting and it's expensive, so it's got to be a good one. And it and it really really was. Please tell me it's going to the West End. <laughs> I'm not really allowed to talk about. Okay, <laughs> but well, we're hoping. Fingers crossed. I'm not. I'm not because they haven't made an official announcement. Okay, but that's that's all I'm really allowed. To Fair say. enough. Sorry, to be Fair boring, enough. But. What What would you say you are at the moment? Then would you say you, you're more of a songwriter or a producer or a musician, or do you like just to say you're all of that? Well, I, I do all all of those things. Like last year, I produced the Got It Covered record for Children in mm. Need. And that was unusual for me because I was just a producer, and I but I really enjoyed that. And then sometimes I'm playing with Robbie Williams as a piano player, mm. you know, I'm in, I'm in his band. So and I really enjoy that because I don't have it. I don't have much responsibility. I mean, I am the musical director. Of yeah, the that's band, quite a lot of responsibility <laughs> when you've well, got thousands of people watching you. Well, you say that, but we all know what we're doing. We, to be honest, we we played the songs hundreds and hundreds of times. So. It only becomes stressful if we're suddenly asked to do something new at the last mm. minute. Mm. It does happen sometimes, but um, most of the time the gigs are, are, are actually fairly straightforward. And so I quite enjoy those shows because I, I, they're quite stress-free for me and it's lovely to hang out with Rob. And, and, and the band, we're a bit of a family. You know, we've been, yeah. I've been working with them since 2013, so we've, we're, all, we're all really close. I bet and you're then, missing each other at the moment. We are. It's, it's an extremely odd time. I mean, the last, well, the last time we were together, we, we flew all the way to Australia, to Melbourne, to play a Formula One show, the opening of the Formula One World oh, Tour. Yeah. All the way there. And I was there for two nights, and then we went all the way back because <laughs> it got cancelled. <laughs> so, so you were with each other, but not in quite the same in the way that you'd hoped. Yeah, I mean, I, we don't actually know at the moment when we're going to be playing together again, which is a very odd situation mm. to be in. Um, mm. And I've never been in this. Well, we've never, none, none of us. us have been in a situation like this before. But do you but, find that you could, you're being more creative? You've got time to sit down and write music? I am writing music, I, but I always write music, whether there's a pandemic or not. Mm. But um, <laughs> obviously I have a lot of time. I mean, I haven't. I mean, my local vicar, I'm a really good friend of the local vicar, and he, he said at the beginning of this, he said, now's a really good opportunity for you to slow down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I've been, you know, I'm a bit of a workaholic, and I do like packing my days in um, with a lot of stuff. So it, it has been, I am learning slowly how to do less, mm. basically. Mm. Um, I, think, I think we but, all are. Yeah. And, and, and also not rush anything. It's, it's, a, it's an amazing privilege actually to not be in a rush yeah you, know, you can you, you can take time doing anything and um not clock watching um, is good not clock watching and and that's that's uh, quite quite incredible really yeah and so really you you'd say you're you're everything you're you you're not one or or more a songwriter musician or producer you're kind of um you like the variety 
I, I, I do. Songwriting-wise, I've been working with a young artist called Alfie Sheard recently, and he's only 18, mm -hmm. but um, it's been... Yeah, that's been fantastic, working with a young talent like him. He's got a lovely voice. Oh, look out for that. Alfie Sheard, yeah, I think yeah. he's going to do really well. Yeah. Um, but um, I am, what I'm currently doing is I'm reading books and looking for another, sh another musical to write. That's, that's what, sort of hunting around for a really good, ideally something that, that children can really appreciate. That's because the, the Boy in the Dress was such a great experience, you thought, I'll, I'm going to do this again. I want to do it again, but I, 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 I do. So I'm sort of reading quite a lot at the moment yeah. and considering different stories and things like that. So if we kind of rewind back to when you started playing music, and I know that your parents were very musical and, and, and at school as well, did they encourage you with your music or was it solely from home that the music came? Um, no, I went to, went to a Church of England state school, primary school, and um, I was, you know, I learned the recorder there. I remember having recorder lessons and playing the Wombles theme. <laughs> and um, Don't we all? And then I, the other big educational thing for me was being in a choir. I was in the local choir, the local uh, church choir. And I don't know if this still happens, but when I was young, you had different um, ribbons that you'd learn. You know, you'd, you'd start as a light blue ribbon. Yeah. You'd have various tests to get to that. And then I think the next ribbon was dark blue and then the final one was red or something and I got to the red ribbon and so that was you know there was the education of singing hymns which I think has been an influence on on me musically I mean I think angels is is basically a hymn and that I think that had quite a big influence on me being in a choir to be honest and, and also you know, learn learning to listen to people and yeah and because and, there's a there's a, an element of having to do as you're told when you're in a choir you can't just start you know doing your own thing can you it's getting no. that musicianship together yeah and learning how one the sopranos works with the alto and how the altos work with the tenors and how the different lines work together contrapuntally mm. if you want to use a musical term is very been very helpful to me in my career because I'm I've, I'm I'm pretty good at um, harmonizing a melody and that just that simple I mean now there's technology that can do it do it for you actually <laughs> how but, annoying when you've learned it all the proper way well it doesn't mean that the technology is better than the human way of doing it so sure. um, it has a certain way of doing it and you still have to tinker with it to make it really musical I think so, so the choirs, that was quite a traditional form of music, but you were yeah. also into to pop music and, and rock oh, music. Yeah. What albums were you loving? The Beatles, we had the, the, red and the, the Red album, The Greatest Hits, and the Blue album, Greatest Hits. And I suppose I remember playing them a lot um, <laughs> when I was a kid. And then I started getting into Led Zeppelin um, and Queen. I remember hearing Bohemian Rhapsody on the radio for the first time when Kenny Everett played it. And yeah. Because I always used to listen to the Kenny Everett show on Capital Radio because <laughs> um, he was a genius. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, they were the main bands. I would say Zeppelin, Queen, The Beatles. And at the time that you were listening to that, was it you just enjoying it or were you thinking, oh, I'd really like to, to write like that and I'd really like to produce something like that or had, did that not sort of cross your mind? No, it did cross my mind. <laughs> and I... <laughs> I used to learn the songs by ear, so I used to play along with the piano to a Beatles song and learn it that way, um, or play along with the guitar, and so I was sort of basically studying 
those songs and and Queen as well. I would learn the Queen songs. I I'm a huge Queen fan, mm. and um, yeah, I was it was it was it was for pleasure, but I was also thinking. I was very curious as to how these songs work, well, and I was, and still am. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, they're they're almost they're they're very simple in a way, but they're also really complicated. If that sounds a bit weird, it's sort of the the, the melody is so simple, isn't it? But this, I remember sort of studying Beatles for GCSE music and, and just going, oh my goodness, this is really fascinating stuff. It's it's more sophisticated. They were a very sophisticated band. I mean, um, when when you start getting into Revolver that album, which my favourite Beatle album, Revolver. Right. And then, um, of course, Sgt. Pepper and White Album, Abbey Road. The, the quality of songwriting is, is just staggering. And, and the way that they developed son- sonically as well was uh, quite just incredible. Because they're only together. They're only really recording for seven years. I mean, it was just staggering, really. Mm. So you decided to go to the Guildhall School of Music. So because that's again tr- quite a traditional route, but you could do still well pop music that, as well. That, that wasn't deliberate. <laughs> um, I didn't decide to go. Now what actually <laughs> happened um, was I was meant to go to the Leeds College of Music to study jazz. Right. Because that's the other big passion for me as a teenager was jazz. Was playing jazz, improvising. You know, that was probably my biggest passion when I was eighteen. Mm-hmm. I was obsessed with jazz. Um, so, but what happened was Liverpool City Council, because I lived in Liverpool then, didn't give me a grant. Uh, the Le- Leeds College of Music, the jazz course, wasn't considered serious enough to be given a full grant. It's interesting, um, isn't it? Well, yeah, and and my family weren't well off enough to. I think they were offering five hundred pound a year. Like that's, I think it was called a discretionary grant. Mm-hmm. I think that's what you'd get then. And obviously that's not a lot to live on. So, and my dad, mum were divorced by that point, and there was no money around at all. So I had to at the last minute, and this all happened in August, just before I was meant to go. I'd, I'd already had a flat on hold in Leeds. I'd gone there to find a flat and stuff like that. So you must have been and, devastated. You'd, you'd think well, that you really loved. You couldn't do. Well, yeah, and then and then not only that, then I had to think of well, when I was told I couldn't go. I had to suddenly think, well, where am I going to go? And part of me said, I remember saying to my mum, well, I'm going to stay in Liverpool and join a band and do that. And she was like, no, there's no way you're doing that. <laughs> you're going to a college. Lucky for me, my dad knew the boss of Guildhall, John Hose, his name was. And he called John up and said, oh, and explained the situation and said, I know it's really last minute, but can my son audition? And he's luckily for me, he said, yes. So I, I had to write, a, I did composition and piano. So I had to write a piece of music like in a week and go down the following week down to London with this piece of music and a prepared piano piece and show the piece of music to their composition teachers and play the piano to their piano teachers. And luckily for me, they thought it was good enough and I got in, but it was really, really last minute. But how did you feel about that? Because you, did you really want to go if, you, if jazz was your thing? No. Did you think, I'm going to music? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I didn't want to go. Um, I found the Guildhall very intimidating um, initially. A lot of people, I just thought, wow, these people are so posh. I mean, you, got, you remember, I was in a state school in Liverpool um, for five years, so I, I was not posh. I know I probably sound quite posh to your listeners now, but, uh, you know, I was, uh, you know, and so it was a real shock to go to a college full of posh people, basically. Um, I, so it was like a culture shock. Mm. Um, they were all from Surrey, 
Well, it's also that music sometimes is is something that you you have to pay for, don't you? Really, a lot of it, particularly now. So well, you know, sadly, yeah, sadly. less so maybe then, but yeah. So you felt a bit bit out of your depth. I did. I felt out of my depth. I, 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 the other big challenge at the Guildhall was there was no halls of residence, so I had to find my own place to stay. All the students in my course had to find your own place to stay, which, as eighteen in London, with very little money was a real challenge mm. and I remember I ended up uh, I, I moved around in the first year a lot in different different shitty flats and um, <laughs> include you know and I stayed with a family and I ended up doing babysitting to pay for my rent and things like that I did, and I did all sorts of things just to exist really I mean it, it, it wasn't easy but in a but, way um, it did it, sh- it you kind of you work so hard to sort of get there and stay there it, it makes it more important that you you do well doesn't it it did it did, uh, and in the end, I did do well. I mean, I, I ended up staying there for four years in the end and doing a postgraduate. And um, so, by then, you were enjoying it. Yeah, it took me a while just to get used to it and find um, a really good friend. I ended up having a really good friend there called Dave Arch, who's actually the guy who does. Yeah, the, strictly. Yeah, that Dave Arch. <laughs> I sat next to him. So and, once, once, and now once you're working with, with pop musicians all over the world and he's on Strictly every Saturday night. How fun is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a, um, it's a pretty pretty uh, good year. There was quite a few people in our year that did really well, actually. In the end. And, and you could incorporate your jazz and you could do the classical and you could do the pop as well, so you could do everything. Well, I didn't... Well, the other thing about the Guildhall, which that, that happened as I, I had more access to it the longer I was there was it had a recording studio and it was the only classical uh, conservatoire if you like that had a studio in in the UK at that point it had a 16 track studio and a lovely man called Dave Foister who let me use the studio and as I got better and better at it he gave me more and more time free studio time amazing and I, I sort of learned how to produce records there really to be honest so you sort of taught yourself and, and just got more and more experience and confidence Well, he helped grew. me a lot. Yeah. Dave helped me a lot. And he's actually still there now <laughs> at the Guildhall. Because <laughs> um, I, I did a lecture there a couple of years ago. So, so do you remember some of the first things that you produced and uh, yeah. people that you worked with? Well, the first thing that got released was I did a record with Mark Almond. You know, Mark Almond from Soft Cell. Yeah, and I, I'm intrigued how you met him. How did that all come about then? I met him because one of my friends at the Guildhall was in his band basically. So and musical circles interlinking. Yeah, and that's, I always say this to young musicians, I always say, be really, and that's why t- at the moment this is what we're, the situation we're being in is so difficult because I always say to them, um, be very social, you mm. know, be so, you know, talk to people, um, go support one another, you know, and, and, and as, as, as time went on in Guildhall, I, I did become very social and I did have a lot of friends at the Guildhall and and I used to rely on young musicians to come and play on my songs you know and and Audrey Riley who was his friend who ended up being a a great string arranger in her own right and she worked on Coldplay's records and things like this and um, anyway she was in in Mark's band and Mark heard the song he liked it and um, he came down to the studio at the Guildhall and he recorded his vocal and then next minute it was released on an indie label and it got really well reviewed in NME and you thought me I'm off it well I kind of thought that and then I had an interview with uh, Rough Trade have you heard of Rough Trade yeah. sort of a very 
famous indie label and I was sort of offered a record well I was also a record deal but he said find yourself a singer who you can collaborate with and, and I'll offer you a deal this is a guy called Jeff Travis who still runs it now actually and then I went on this hunt to try and find singer and, and I couldn't find anyone at the time so that's why that, that, that didn't happen but I had to wait till 1997 to find a singer <laughs> Which was a long way. It was a long way, and we'll come to that singer in a minute. Although you have mentioned him, um, but you did work with, as well as Mark, you worked, you know, with with World Party and, and yeah. the Water Boys as well. Did, at that stage, then, did you think, right, this is the the route I want to go down, or were you sort of hankering to sort of do your own thing? Because I know you had your own band as well. Yeah, no, um, well, I was in World Party for five years, and it, it was a fantastic experience. You know, we toured America, and I learned a lot from Carl Wallinger. Uh, about songwriting and, and especially about lyrics because he's a brilliant lyricist and he's woefully underrated in this country and I went down uh, a, a, a world party YouTube rabbit hole <laughs> the other day it just so many great songs they're just yeah, they're brilliant really, they really are and I mean obviously your listeners will know she's the one that's his most famous song but um yeah is it anyway, like today and Loads. Yeah, but there's loads of other great songs yeah. and well worth going down that rabbit hole. Mm. <laughs> um, and I'm in some of those early videos. Yeah, well, I was watching that. I was trying to work it out. <laughs> I'm the one with lots of hair. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, there's a lot of people with lots of hair in that band. But anyway, um, <laughs> but I was in that band for five years. And yes, it was frustrating because I was writing songs in my 20s. And I would, I would play a demo to Carl and he would just go, no, nah, it's too pop for World Party. I, you know, it's good, but it's not right for this band. And, he would always knock me back. And, uh, yeah, it was tough. And uh, that's why I left in the end, in the early 90s, and formed my own band, The Lemon Trees. So you had a little um, bit more control as to the music that you that you were making. but I had total control in that band. That the Lemon Trees was my band. Uh, but what about a record company saying, do this, do um, this, or did that, did that not happen? Well, actually, they let us... The first album we made, we had... We could do whatever we want, which we did, and it did. It did pretty well the first album, and we got a lot of radio play. And then, the second album, we made that tragic mistake of completely changing our sound <laughs> and work, working with an American producer, and and that's what got us dropped from the label because they hated it basically because it was completely different to the first record. And, and when your and, deal ended, did you think oh, maybe I should just do something else? Did it? put you off did it get you down or did you think no, no this is going to go the other way and really really push for it no it was very it was it was the former and no, I was devastated when I was dropped absolutely devastated uh, it really knocked me back um I just started writing with other people I I got an opportunity to work with Annie Lennox which was scary to be honest she's very intimidating I bet um, I remember going around to her huge house in <laughs> Little Venice in London and playing her some songs and she, she basically thought I was nuts. <laughs> Why does she think she you thought, were nuts? Uh, she thought the songs were really indulgent and um, she, was at the, she was working on her first solo album at that point and she played me one of the songs from that first album. I think it was uh, broke, the, broke, the Walking on Broken Ice song. Oh, on Glass, yeah, Broken Glass. Sorry, yeah, and she played me that on the piano and... It was like, I need songs like this. <laughs> and she played me that, and I was like, oh, wow, Jesus, you, you do. That's brilliant. And it, that, was a, that was a good little... I was kind of in my own world a bit, uh, to be honest, around that time. I wasn't fully focused. Um, so did you deliver a song for her then? Or when she said, I want a song well, like this, did you just go, okay, see you, bye? <laughs> 
she decided after that meeting that we shouldn't work together. Right. Um, which I wasn't surprised by. But then a few years later, I did end up working with her again. And we did write some really good songs together. But sadly, she hasn't wanted to release them for whatever reason. But... Maybe there's still time. Well, yeah, I do regularly get in touch with her and say, why don't you release them now? And she says, no, I still don't want to release them. <laughs> it's frustrating. That happens as a songwriter, that sometimes. I mean, I've got a great Britney Spears song that's never been released that I'd love to release. But... And it's her song. It's her decision, is it? In the end, yeah, yeah. That must be the, a very frustrating part of the job, though, because I read somewhere that you said when you write with other people, you want to feel the music is theirs. And that's incredibly generous because half of it's yours. <laughs> well, yeah, but they're, they're the artists. They've, they've got to schlep around radio stations promoting it and feeling that, it's, that they can be proud of it and they can represent it and feel, feel you know, they can sell it. Mm. And if they feel that it's only half, well, if they don't feel that it's really came from within them, they feel like a fraud and um that's not good for any artist and you, you talked about meeting annie lennox and sometimes if things don't work out if, from your part you know they might be loving the, what's going on but if you think well oh, this isn't quite working is it okay to say actually i don't think this is working um you mean when we're in the room together you mean yeah or maybe when you've left the room and thought how am i going to get oh. out of this one <laughs> that has happened <laughs> um, so a, a little email saying i'm not sure this is working out yeah, or you get your manager to say, oh, guy's not feeling very well the following day. <laughs> um, but I, I, I've got myself in trouble with a bit of that in the past. Um, it's difficult. But, you have to be very, I imagine you have to be quite diplomatic. Yeah, you, you do. Um, it's tricky. I mean, I, I, I'm, what, what I tend to have done, and, and, I, and, is, is, and I would recommend this to any songwriter, is you've got to sort of have meet up for a coffee first and and have a chat and see if you actually get on with this person mm. um, before launching straight into making music together. I think, I mean, I didn't do that with Rob. We chatted on the phone initially. Very, very quick conversation. He basically said something like, are you all right? And I said, yeah. And he said, uh, well, I, I've been looking for a songwriter. And can you write Dirty Pop? And I said, <laughs> yeah, I can do that. And he said, great, I'll see you tomorrow. And that was literally the conversation we that's, didn't have any. That's incredible. Um, and, and when you first met, though, were you slightly intimidated because he'd had huge success already? He must have been intimidated by you because I, I meant to say you work with people like Kathy Dennis and so many people. Was there intimidation on both sides? I don't think he was intimidated by me. Um, no, I think maybe he thought I was a bit. I don't know what his first impressions of me. He's never really told me, <laughs> um, to be honest, but. I was certainly intimidated by him. I was intimidated by just his general demeanor. You know, he was in 1997, January 1997, he was on a on a massive bender. Yeah. And so he was quite large. You know, he was uh you if you watch the video Old Before I Die, that's what he looked like then. <laughs> and he had a bit of a beard and mm. he was overweight and drinking too much and doing too many drugs and and so you know he was yeah and I I, he, I was a bit intimidated by him but once we wrote together um that that soon sort of went and when you write together are you at the piano and he's there or do you work remotely no 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 we we've never worked uh, remotely no we always 
write together and uh, yes sometimes with the piano sometimes with a guitar and more recently in the last few years um, I will work on a track in my studio a backing track and then I play it to him and he and if he likes something he immediately start singing on it and then uh, with and words will come out of his mouth pretty quickly and then we edit my idea to fit his melodic and lyrical ideas and we then create a song out of that but but in the, the the very early days it was very simple it was just me with a guitar him singing in the room in my bedroom I had a studio in my bedroom in a flat at that time mm -hmm. and it was very very simple really it sounds like it just clicked it did uh, the very first day we wrote a song called South of the Border which was on the first album mm -hmm. and then the second day we wrote Angels at Angels I think I remember reading somewhere that it didn't take long to write at all. No, I had this terrible sinus infection that morning. I was feeling really, really bad. And I remember phoning my mum up saying I didn't I want to cancel today. And she said, well, I've got this feeling, I, whatever you do, don't cancel today. <laughs> um, so I didn't. And uh, But because I was feeling so bad, I think we were, I think we worked together for about an hour on that song. And then he left. Incredible. But sounds again like your mum, you know, you are going to college and you are going to go that session. Um, yeah. Good job you listened to her. She was a huge influence on me uh, musically, my mum. I, mm. I can't really overemphasize that. Um, songwriting, people I collaborate with, but also with, with the theatre as well. She's a, she was a huge lover of the theatre. And... Um, he took me to the theatre from a very early age, you know, so... Which is why it's it's wonderful that, that you did The Boy in the Dress, but also because you've done a... Was it a folk, folk opera that you dedicated yeah. to her? Selfish Giant. She's on my Spotify, if anybody wants to listen to it, which I'm very proud of. Um, it got... It, we had a run at the Vaudeville Theatre a couple of years ago, and I'm hoping to open it at the Edinburgh Festival. Well, it was going to be this year, but um, hopefully, be, well, hopefully it'll be next year now. Mm hmm and you, we talked earlier about, um, because you've done so much, you know, producing that Children in Need album last year, working with so many different musicians, and, and also part of the job is touring. I, don't, I use the yeah. word job. I mean, do you feel like it is like a job when you're touring? I spoke to um, John Metcalf, who's worked with Coldplay, and he said it's his favourite bit touring. I thought that would be not the thing, because I thought you're so used to being in a studio, and it's so different, isn't it, from being in a dark studio and working quite quite on your own sometimes but do you love the touring aspect um do i uh the well the last tour big tour i did was with rob called the heavy entertainment show tour and that was very very difficult because he was he was really ill during that tour he had a real bad back problem mm -hmm. so it was a bit of a nightmare that tour but I the the tour before that, the Let Me Entertain You tour, when we did festivals around Europe, was absolutely brilliant and tremendous fun because we hadn't ever, well, now we'd done festivals back in the early days in the 90s, but we hadn't done, Rob hadn't played a festival since since like 2000 or something like that. Um, so that was unbelievably great fun to, to, to play like all over Europe and and for him to completely smash it and, and prove to everyone why he's 
you know, entertainment's top dog. Top, top dog. dog. And, and it's, you know, I guess if everyone's happy on tour and everyone's getting on well, it makes it a brilliant tour. But as you say, if there's a problem somewhere, it affects yeah. everybody. Well, yeah, and the, the the last tour, you know, if the boss is ill, it really it really made the tour. I mean, it was still wonderful to go to all these different countries. I'm not I wasn't I'm not complaining about it, and it's I do I do enjoy the traveling, but um, I don't know if I'm going to enjoy it so much with the way the world is changing now, and with all the once we slip out of the EU and with all the yeah. visas and yeah. And, and I think like touring that. is changing. You know, Coldplay are talking about, aren't they, not touring so much. But it could be, you know, everyone this week has been playing music from their Twitter feeds. It could be that live music changes a little bit. But that would be a real shame if people can't experience it live and close I, up. Oh, I think there will always be live music. You can't, you cannot replicate the thrill of actually standing in front of an artist and seeing them and hearing the music nice and loud mm. and sharing that with other people it's you, you you can't replicate that online i mean when you've, you you we had a little break from robbie and you did those five massive albums yeah you, you could have just retired you could have just thought right i've i've done really well there's I've, I've reached the pinnacle i could just stop but you you said earlier you've got a really strong work ethic so that was not an option no i mean i did i did somebody offered me a lot of money to to buy all my songs um and i i did go down a road of thinking about going to Switzerland and you know, becoming a tax exile. And really? Because But they're I, your babies. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised no, that you well, did that's think why, about it. No, that's why I didn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just telling you I was tempted. Yeah. Um, but I didn't do it, no. Uh, and, was was uh, it the lure of working with other people that you thought, you know what, I've got so much more I want to, to do? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because um, it would have been very restrictive being in Switzerland for me creatively. Mm. Um, and you can only, if you're a tax exile, you can only be in the UK for 90 days. And that would have been a nightmare, really. Um, so anyway, um, no, I, I did carry on working after our split, um, worked with lots of different people. Um, it wasn't always a great experience. I, I did really miss him because we had such a great um, relationship creatively. It was such a, it was very balanced, you know, we're very, we're very, he's he's always say i've said this before but he's great at the things that i'm not great at and vice versa you know uh, i'm i'm good at the music side of things and playing the piano and playing the guitar and arranging and doing all that stuff and he's not really interested in all that side of it he's more interested in does this song represent me and make me look good on stage am i you know am, <laughs> am i going to sound good am i going to be able to perform this to people are people going to go nuts for this song that's all. That's his priority. And I bet you have a laugh as well. I bet there's we do quite a lot of mucking about. Yeah. Well, we no, we definitely we definitely have a laugh. I mean, we were meant to be writing sort of around this time now, uh, but because of all the craziness, he's in Los Angeles, and I can't I can't even get to Los Angeles at the moment. So sure, it's one of those things. It's all right. You know, we will. You will meet again. again. Yeah. We will. We absolutely will. <laughs> but but when you hear a classic song that you've both written on the radio. Um, I'm sure it still gives you a thrill, but do you also listen to it and go, oh, that little bit there, I remember writing that bit, or oh, just tweak that bit? Not really. Um, we we did we did a hell of a lot of tweaking at the time. Sure. I mean, um, and is that from you or from him? Who was, who's the perfectionist? Well, both of us. He's he's definitely a perfectionist when it comes to the lyrics. He, he will tweak his lyrics. Like a song like Rock DJ, for example, 
that went through a lot of changes before he was till he was happy um, and he had quite a mental block on that song um, he, in other words he didn't really like it for quite a long time thought it was cheesy mm. but I kept pushing it and pushing it and pushing it I said look this is going to be massive we've just got to stick with this and more recently with songs like um, well Party Like a Russian which I'm really proud of it um, that lyric went through a hundred rewrites easily God. and we have no idea when we're listening to it <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it sounds completely effortless, but it wasn't um, effortless. And we also had issues with, without being too um, particular about it, but that song was got quite controversial because he said a bit too much about Russia. In the I remember. Lyric. Let's put it that way. Yeah. We had to do, we had a lot of um, political problems with it at one point. Is that the one that you're most proud of? You said you're proud of it, which is the, the I am the very proud thing. of that one, but, but not least... No, I'm not the most proud of it, but I was. I did have a lovely experience in Dubai recently. I went to a Russian bar. Part of Like a Russian is the number one karaoke song in Russia. Well, is it really? Wow. Yeah. Sang it on karaoke. It's actually on my Instagram. It's it's, it's appallingly bad because I can't sing. <laughs> That's it's an accolade. Really cool. That is really cool. <laughs> so, I mean, I know you're pausing because of what's going on in the world right now, but... Um, and you, and you want to write a, an, another musical. What what else What else are you desperate to do? Well, I, I, I've been enjoying playing my solo piano gigs because I, I, I made a, a solo piano album called Go Gentle Into mm. the Light. And I, I, I do, I've been doing a few gigs and I've been really enjoying that and I've been enjoying making people laugh. I've, I found that I, I, can, I can make people laugh because I tell stories about the songs in the show. So I'm looking forward to doing more of those. I, I'm, I'm meant to be doing more of those in, later in the year now. Um, and um, I've also been writing a show with Lily Allen, another musical. Oh, wow. But I, I, it's, I can't really say what it is, but it's, it's, what I can say is based on a TV series that's incredibly successful. <laughs> um, I can say that. That's tantalising. Oh, we'll, we'll look forward to that. Yeah. Um, at, at the beginning, we, we talked about the fact that you're, it's lovely that you're reconnecting almost with your kids because we're all in the same houses together. What do they think yeah. about what you do? Because I'm imagining that people like Rob pop round for tea sometimes. And do they, I guess it's just water off a duck's back. Yes and no. Um, well, luck, luckily, they all, they're all musical. I mean, I was listening to Celeste, who's my youngest daughter, play the ukulele this morning. She practices it every day, and, that's, and she's, she's really adorable. And then I, last night, when I was trying to get to bed, I could hear Marley, my son, who's 17. He's, he was writing a song with a guitar. Oh, amazing. And, so there's, there's stuff going on in the house, creatively. Um, Sounds like you've inspired them. I think I'd like to think I have, and but you know my wife inspires them as well with, with other things and like with drawing because my wife's really painting and um, so it's, it's it's quite a creative house. It is. There's going to be like a whole album out of this uh, <laughs> this whole COVID nineteen outbreak. There's going to be a, a a Chambers family album coming our way, maybe. Maybe. Forget the maybe. Von Trapps. <laughs> That's a challenge. So I mean, we've talked a little bit about those big pivotal moments in your career. I mean, I'm just thinking about what you've been saying going to a different college. I mean, I wonder what would have happened if you'd stayed up in Leeds and done the jazz. Things would have, could potentially have gone a completely different way. And, and the influence of your mum and, and meeting Rob, what do you think? I mean, what do you think about if you hadn't gone to Guildhall? It's a good question. Nobody's asked me that before. I don't think I would have stuck it being a jazz musician because I, 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 got, I had the pleasure to meet quite a lot of very talented jazz musicians in my teenage years. 
because um, I used to go to music courses. Cleo Lane and John Dankworth used to put on mm. these music courses at Wavendon in their house. And I got to meet some amazing musicians. But what I did find out about jazz musicians was they're pretty miserable <laughs> because they felt really underrated and un undervalued and they're all broke. And uh, look, some of them were alcoholics. And um, so I kind of, I kind of realized by the time I was about 20 that to be a jazz musician is really, really tough. And I also asked myself the question, am I really good enough to be the best at that? Mm. And I, I realized, I think, that I wasn't, basically. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, uh, but you managed think, to excel in other areas when you went to London. Yeah, and, and I mean, I wasn't the best at writing classical music either, but um, not that it's about being the best, but, I, you know, at least I know as a songwriter I'm as good as some other good people. I know I'm on a, I'm on a reasonable level. But with jazz, it's, it's incredibly competitive. It's a very competitive uh, arena, to be mm. honest. And I, I wasn't ever really a virtuoso, you know. I was good, but I wasn't that good. Well, there's always something to do. Keep practicing while you're... I, I, I was practicing this morning. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and other pivotal moments um, that I haven't mentioned, was there anything else that you think that was a real turning point in my career? I think... Uh, Joining World Party was was a huge thing, um, uh, and the Water Boys. I mean, maybe the Water Boys was because it was through joining the Water Boys that I then joined World Party, mm. and I was very lucky to get the audition for the Water Boys. And then when I walked through the door to play Hole of the Moon, and I knew they were going to ask me to play that song, I Carl Wallinger, who was the keyboard player, was packing up his keyboards as I was walking in. They, you know, he was. It was it was the same day for some reason. It was weird, but um, and I, I said to him, "Look, before you go, can you just show me how to play Hole of the Moon?" And and he sat down and showed me it, and and I got the job because I could, I played it exactly the same as he played it. Um, it's all that practicing that you did when you were a kid, listening to <laughs> Queen songs, isn't it? Yeah, but and but but and also being very as a musician. You've just got to go for it. You, you mustn't think, oh, I'm not ready or, 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 you know, I'm not. Or, you know, you can't make any excuses for yourself. You just have to go for it. Would that be your, your main bit of advice for, for anyone that's wanting to, to write the next big Robbie Williams album? Well, except you'll be doing that, obviously, but something well, like that. Well, he does write with other people. Yeah. <laughs> so um, <laughs> he's, um, um, yeah, I, 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 would, I, uh, I would say a couple of things, you know, You've definitely got to have incredible stamina. You know, being in the music business, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Mm -hmm. And you will get lots of knockbacks. Um, but you, if you really believe in yourself, you will make it. So I'll say that for the start. And then the other thing I would say again is that being sociable and, and, and make friends with lots of musicians. Go and support musicians in local venues and meet people and it's through me because you you probably can't exist on your own no i think it's very difficult for doesn't matter how brilliant you are you're going to need other people to help you get where you want to go mm -hmm. that, that's really great advice and it's not true is it you 
you called yourself torture chambers because <laughs> of your I, work ethic? <laughs> um, no, 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 I didn't. I didn't call myself. Oh, OK. But, uh, that was my nickname. In um... So that's the kind of working hard thing, but not too hard, obviously. No, I, I, I think when, the, when we did the first five Robbie albums, I was, I was a real, I was pretty tough on the band and, you know, I was the MD of the band. I mean, I was just working so hard. It was, it was just that first five years was with him. 97 to 2002 was unbelievable what, what we did in those years. Quite incredible. How intense. Much work we did. It was incredibly intense. I was, I was, but I was very much this, it's all happening. We're selling millions of records. You know, it was very, very, the adrenaline rush was just huge. Mm. I can, I can, I cannot. Well, I can't imagine. I cannot. I'm just standing on a stage with those thousands of people just singing together. You know, like like a like the choir that you were in at the very beginning when yeah. you talked about. But times three thousand, three million. I don't know. It, I cannot. The, the feeling must have been just insane. It was. It was very inspiring, and it, and it made you want to write other songs that would have the same. You know, you write a song like Angels, and then you'd hear. You perform it at Glastonbury, and you'd hear a hundred thousand people singing it back to you, and that was that was incredible. And then, and that would inspire you to want to write a song like "Feel," mm. with, and then hear people sing that back to you. So, it, it created this lovely chain reaction of creativity. To be honest, it was wonderful. And it's wonderful for us as well to hear that. I just some of those songs, I just love them. So, thank you so much for thank writing you. them. I, you know, I hope people say that to you all the time because they're just just. They, they, they change people's lives they really do everyone you know it must be amazing when you know that people have I mean marriage is that's an obvious one but other situations in people's lives and that has been their soundtrack that must be incredible that's one of the reasons I like doing the piano solo piano shows is that or I always sign CDs at the end or I'll sign anything to be honest but um, <laughs> I mean and that's and then I get to meet people who have been affected by our songs and you hear some really sweet stories and and uh, you realize that, you know, music matters. It really does. Well, listen, we're so looking forward to what's coming up, you know, the Lily Thank Allen you. project, the, another musical, and and the, the household band that's going to happen in the next couple of weeks, <laughs> <laughs> the ukulele orchestra or whatever. Uh, Guy, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. It's really great to talk to you. Cheers. Thanks to Guy for taking the time to talk to me and you can follow him on Twitter at Guy A. Chambers and uh, you listen out for all his new projects which sound incredibly exciting. Uh, we've got other musicians on previous episodes of the podcast. There are comedians Flo and Joan, music producer and musician John Metcalf, cellist Natalie Klein, engineer Olga Fitzroy, loads of them on there and other great guests too. We are on Podbean, Spotify and iTunes. And I know it's boring, but if you could rate us, that would be great. We're on Twitter too, at Where Go Right. Thank you to Megan for expert editing, Laura Shipsey for the music, and to you for listening. See you soon. This episode of Where Did It All Go Right is sponsored by Pearson. Pearson is the world's learning company, Supporting talent and helping everyone to make progress in their lives through learning. Working with teachers and education experts, Pearson provides a wide range of qualification routes so you can pick the course which suits you best to develop your skills and stand out in the crowd. Visit them online at go.pearson.com forward slash where did it all go right.